the hosts of Fang Theory are not experts in any of the subjects discussed, and nothing they say should be taken as advice or expertise. Fang Theory is not affiliated with Summit Entertainment, Little Brown and Company, or anything to do with the Twilight franchise. We are merely fans, here to have some fun and apply vigorous amateur research to the world of our favorite vamps. Welcome to Fang Theory. I'm Paige. I'm Hannah. I sound wayless like a zombie today. Yeah, congrats. You got some. You got ample sleep. Yes. Uh, it's, it's amazing what happens when you record when you don't have work that day. <laughs> <laughs> so today is a very special day for us in particular at Fang Theory because we have found a topic that eloquently combines our two primary interests as human people. As human people? I mean, vampires are people too, Hannah? (laughs) Human derogatory? Depending on who you ask, I suppose. (laughs) So, my segue is today we are combining our two interests as human people, which is Hannah knows a lot of stuff about brains, and I like to talk about things that I remember. (laughs) (laughs) So what I'm hearing is Paige likes to tell stories. It's true, I do. (laughs) And then Hannah, brain. Yes, I mean... I'm going to apologize right now because I'm not going to be able to not point out how, how meta everything is going to become. But we we use the words remember and memory a lot. And um, yeah. It's gonna I be mean, fun. there's there's literally no other word for it. You know what is a fun fact, though? Hmm. In Spanish, they have a noun of forget. Oh. We have the verb remember and the noun memory. They have a noun for forget. Yeah, that is pretty interesting. Yeah, I'm. I haven't heard it in context yet, but I thought that was lovely. I want. I want a noun for forget. A, a forgetting, for a forgettery, a forgettery, fromagerie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, as as requested, I'm just going to read a quote. So, the who are you? What do you want? Why are you doing this? Of the day is Pella. wasn't done that's it <laughs> um i mean i could talk for an hour every week about bella i love her but that was that was only the first word of the code <laughs> which is like a whole fucking paragraph uh-huh. all right bella edward whispered in shock i knew it was working then so i concentrated even harder dredging up the specific memories i'd saved for this moment Letting them flood my mind and hopefully his as well. If you haven't picked up on it yet, this is the end of Breaking Dawn when Bella lowers her shield. When she's like, I have died every day waiting for you. But she, 
but as she's doing this, she's describing the memories and the quality of the memories, which is what we're here to talk about today. So let me tell you what Bella has to say about it. Some of the memories were not clear. Dim human memories seen through weak eyes and heard through weak ears. The okay, first ouch. time. I know. But she's only calling herself out, so it's fine. I well, guess. Wait. No, she's no. a human. She's calling us out. Yeah. Bella, this is not called for. Okay. So she's describing these human memories and she's saying that they're dim because she heard through weak ears and seen through weak eyes. Um and this was a call specifically for Hannah. But then <laughs> Do you want to hear the memory she told him? Or should yeah. I... Okay. She says, the first time I'd seen his face, the way it felt when he'd held me in the meadow, the sound of his voice through the darkness of my faltering consciousness when he'd saved me from James, his face as he waited under a canopy of flowers to marry me, every precious moment from the island, his cold hands touching our baby through my skin. And you know what? I went on the record. This is not like James Baldwin or anything, but I think Stephanie Meyer is a pretty good writer. Yeah, but you know what? It kind of makes me sad that a lot of these memories is just like Edward being there while Bella experienced a trauma. Only half of them. <laughs> that is a high percentage. <laughs> In fairness, one of the traumas was having her daughter so that's a mixed bag that's true but like another one of the traumas is james <laughs> that's true james james is in this list yeah um but then and the sharp memories perfectly recalled his face when i'd opened my eyes to my new life the endless dawn of immortality that first kiss that first night so it is very romantic it is really cute but I want it on the record that her dim memory of him touching Renezme when she's pregnant would have been like, what, two or three days before her memory of opening her eyes to this new life. Yeah. So, so there's yeah. a clear line of demarcation there. There really is. And I mean, even these more distant memories, like the island would have been like two months before that. <laughs> I feel like two months no. ago was like last week. <laughs> oh, I guess... I, I was like, no, it would have been nine months, but no, like a huge no. part of it is that she had an accelerated pregnancy. So yeah, it would have been was, like two months. Yeah, the island was in late September and mm-hmm. Renesmee is like a, a, a child in December. Yeah. <laughs> so it's all very swift. So as you said, there's a really clear demarcation. So what we're here to discuss today is what happens, what makes the difference between human memories and vampire memories so dramatic? And do vampires ever forget anything? That would suck if they didn't, but like... It kind of seems like they don't. Yeah. I mean, perfectly recalled is strong language. (laughs) That is strong language. You know what, though? Because this is all from Bella's point of view. She's been a vampire for what? Like a month? Of course she can perfectly recall it. <laughs> but three days before that, she calls it dim. <laughs> but it's like in 500 years from now, do you, like we, we don't have, we don't really have um, anecdotal evidence from Bella that she would still be able to remember her first day as a vampire. 
uh, not to not to have a spoiler, but to have a little bit of a spoiler, we do have evidence that vampires remember things as clearly centuries later, and primarily through Carlisle, mm. which we will discuss. Okay, yeah. But Bella just put it so succinctly here that I was like, this is it. This is our, what, why are we doing this moment? And I mm-hmm. kind of like, so yeah, I'm going to tell you a little bit about the memory basics. Okay, let's hear them. I rely heavily on Hank Green for my information. <laughs> there is nothing wrong with that. Hank Green is a great source. I agree wholeheartedly. Uh, according to Hank, memory is, quote, learning that has persisted over time, can be stored, and recalled. Which is not a very sexy way to look at it, but I think that's true. (laughs) I didn't know that there was supposed to be a sexy way to look at it. I feel like memory is often very sexy. We talk a lot about, like, how romantic it is to talk about memory. Hence our, like, three full minutes of singing before we start recording. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay, that's fair, that's fair, that's fair. But... Um, when you put it in psychology words, I'm like, okay, I or learning that has persisted over time. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, most of the time, psychology makes very sexy topics very unsexy. Sorry about that. Yeah, hurtful, annoying, but it's fine. Uh, you have to you have to pay attention. If you don't notice something, you can't remember it. Sorry. <laughs> wow, hot take. <laughs> I mean, this is a huge, this is not the purpose of this podcast, but all the research I did about memory in the last week or so made me be like, it's really stupid that we rely so heavily on eyewitness accounts because a lot of times the importance of the things you see only becomes apparent after the thing has happened, but Mm -hmm, the details you need, why would you have noticed? Because like the moment before something terrible happens is always you know just very chaotic yeah you're just going or you're just going about your life yeah and then the actual event itself is very chaotic yeah and your attention is spread so questions like who did you see run out of the like it's like i don't know a person a guy yeah (laughs) that's the best i can do (laughs) so i don't know seems crazy to me i don't have a i don't have an alternative i don't know what we should do instead (laughs) yeah but um Yes, you have to you have to make an effort to remember something. You have to at least have um, noticed it. <laughs> yeah, and actually, the thing is, is like paying attention is also a lot more difficult than I think we realize. Yeah, like, just inattentiveness is so easy. I mean, how many times have you gone to some place that you've been a million times before and don't remember actually getting there? Yeah, and like brain likes easy. <laughs> I mean, I can relate. <laughs> I guess I'm brain. Yeah, you're brain. So I'm uncomfortable with that. But yes. So like a lot of the times, think about like how many things you interact with in a day. It makes sense that we don't remember a lot of them. Mm-hmm. We're very overstimulated otherwise. Mm-hmm. But uh, initial attention puts something in short term memory. when Which like, again, according to Hank, we're talking... 15 to 30 seconds and between five and nine items. Yeah. Psychologists used to think that list was longer. Like they used to think that you could hold more than five to nine items. Yeah. But then through just a bunch of tests, they realized, oh, nope. It's, it's, yeah, it's dismal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I really, this is one of my big goals in my life always is people will tell me their name and then two seconds later, I'll be like, fuck was their name <laughs> mm-hmm. 
So short-term memory is also referred to as working memory. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so for like the everyday person talking about short-term memory, if you could just, you know, casually bring up short-term memory in your conversations. When I'm talking about Dory, always. Yeah, when you're talking about Dory, you know, a lot of people use short-term and working memory uh, interchangeably. But in psychology, they are, in fact, different things. So when we say short-term, we are meaning just those five to nine things that you can store for about 15 seconds. Working memory is how we manipulate our short-term memory, which is like kind of strange to think about. But it is how do we take the information that we just briefly stored and use it very quickly, right? So a really good example of that is um, like doing a math problem, like seeing the numbers, remembering those numbers for a short period of time, using those numbers in a math problem. That is a really good example of working memory. Okay. So, and there are three components to working memory. So there's the visual spatial sketch pad, which is how we orient things in our brain. So when you close your eyes, you... Like if it's if you're in a room that you know, for instance, your bedroom, when you close your eyes, you kind of have a mental map of your bedroom, right? So our mm-hmm. visual sketch, our visual spatial sketch pad is just like that mental map of the thing we know. Then we have the phonological loop, which is just repetition. So in our head, when we hear something over and over again, we'll say it, you know, over and over again. Or if for example, someone gives you their phone number and you want to remember it for a short time, you might say out say it out loud over and over again. I do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So uh, so those are the two big things two big methods of remembering things in our working memory. But then we need something to tie it all together. So that's why we say there are three components. We have a thing called an episodic buffer which integrates the visuospatial sketch pad and the phonological loop together into a quote-unquote story that makes it easier for all of the information to be stormed into long-term memory. Can you so, example? yeah, so let's... We tend to look back at our memories as if there's a succinct, a succinct timeline, right? Mm-hmm. And the reason why we do that is because we have this episodic buffer that will just naturally lay it out in a timeline. We like to think of things on a timeline. So if there's ever a time where, um, or for instance, a lot of times teachers will tell you like, oh, if you're having a hard time remembering something, put the details of the thing you want to remember on an actual like physical visual map right like Mm -hmm. walk yourself through it like oh when you pass this tree here's this little piece of information that's stored when you walk past that house here's another little piece of information that's stored right yeah so like um and it's because our brain likes to put things into stories it just makes it easier so i don't know if that's the best example i couldn't come up with an example on the spot but like when you close your eyes and you walk through like a map and you store little pieces of information on these little pieces of the map that really helps with remembering things because our brain just likes to just likes to you know talk to itself (laughs) okay or like if i read a poem Mm -hmm. like i both have the images that the poem is saying running through my mind and i'm also repeating it 
Mm-hmm. Like if I want to memorize a poem. Or it's like you will have an easier time remembering the poem if while you're reading it, you're visualizing what's happening. Mm, okay. Okay. I see that. So they are different. Using yeah. short-term memory. Yeah. Okay. And some people would consider it kind of the transition between short-term and long-term memory. I don't know if this is like super relevant, but there is uh, there's a model for like uh, the, our memory path by Atkinson and Schifrin. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so their original model for anyone who doesn't know <laughs> just it, it's very basic it is essentially saying like here's the sensory input after that it goes into short-term memory after a lot of rehearsal it goes into long-term memory but once psychologists realized that we have this working memory um the model got uh, adjusted pretty drastically for it and so yeah so that's why we consider the working memory to be the transition between short-term and long-term because in that original model, that's where we put it. That is interesting. It's crazy how when you like, you ever just start drafting or like writing or something, just and you're like, well, I just need to have something down here. Mm-hmm. And then because it's there, it's like, well, this is the thing now. Yeah. <laughs> it's weird that as like a scientific community, psychology was like, we may have revolutionized how we understand memory, but we, we have to just put it between these two things so that it fits in the map we have. <laughs> yeah, basically. But, I mean, there's some validity there. Like, the working memory does help put things from the short term into the long term. Okay. Alrighty. I buy it. So, long term memory is the things we hold on to indefinitely beyond this 15 to 30 second window. Like, that I can tell you my second grade teacher's name. Mm -hmm. What becomes complicated about it is how we store things in there. How much can we store in there? Mm-hmm. Is it the limitations that you were alluding to? Well, there is a lot of disagreement. So fill us in. Tell us the psychology tea. So a lot of a lot of psychologists, and in fact I think probably most psychologists believe that in our we have an indefinite amount of storage in our long-term memory like for instance when I took a class on memory for my degree um my professor told us like we have an indefinite amount of long-term storage the thing is is that I think a lot of people would disagree and say we have a finite amount because even the things that we store in the long-term memory might not necessarily be accurate and so if what we're recalling is not accurate, is it truly, like, have you truly stored that memory into long-term memory, right? Like, can yeah. you call that a memory or is that you just making up a story? <laughs> yeah. So, or, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of disagreement about whether or not our long-term memory is indefinite or not. Um. But I think in general, like how it's taught is that we have an inf- infinite amount of long-term memory space. And I mean, the other important consideration here is that not all things that we remember are stored the same way. Like mm-hmm. I learned how to knit when I was six and I was six, so I didn't like it. <laughs> so I stopped. Yeah. But when I picked it up again at 20, mm-hmm. 
it took me like a week to like really get it down. Admittedly, I was knitting for like long stretches of time during that week, but. <laughs> but it took you a faster amount of time than you think yeah. it would have if you had no prior experience. Yes, but if you asked me what the my knitting teacher's name when I was six, I don't remember that anymore. Uh-huh. So this is why we have like, it's like riding a bike, right? Yeah. Things that we learn. If we learn how to do something, it's not stored the same way as information, which information is the most specific. So there are like a couple of types of memory. When we, so we, when we discuss memory in terms of categorization, we split it into explicit memory and implicit memory. Um, And so explicit memory is then further divided into two more categories, um, episodic and semantic. Episodic memory is just like the recall of your life events. So when, you know, when you're telling a story about how your day went at work, that's episodic memory. Semantic memory is just like your general knowledge, like being able to say, oh, like, this is the 44th president, or like, oh, so-and-so's birthday is on this day, right? That's all semantic knowledge. And that, uh, your explicit memory gets stored all over your brain. Just everywhere. So, What do you, you mean know. by that? Like, uh, it is an integrated system. So, you know, some pieces of it get stored in your occipital lobe. So you have a visual reference, right? Some pieces of it get stored into your temporal lobe. So you have a language reference for it. It gets stored all over. A huge part of it before you truly put the memory into long-term memory gets stored in the hippocampus. Um, so yeah, it just it just gets stored all over. It is it, it's everywhere. Is episodic information not stored that way? No, ex- any explicit information. Okay. I th- I think uh, it is easier for semantic or it is easier to visualize where semantic memory goes. Um. Because it requires so many elements of our brain's functioning in order to be able to recall, like, general knowledge. Interesting. Um, For instance, like, I think, for instance, you could probably tell uh, an episodic story through just completely, like, visual references, right? Whereas, like, semantic knowledge you need to have access to your language, access to your visuals, access to your motor, all of it, right? Yeah. Like on the other hand though, implicit memory, which is your unconscious memory, it also uh for instance, procedural slash motor memory is considered implicit memory. That gets stored specific in specific parts of the brain, which is why we can differentiate between remembering how how to do like Pythagorean theorem versus like how to ride a bike they just get stored completely differently is learning how to read explicit or implicit learning how to read is kind of a it's an interesting one i think it is one that transitions from explicit to implicit because obviously when you're first learning how to read you don't know how to do it so it's like you have to constantly um you know you have to constantly reteach yourself the alphabet and how letters sound right yeah but eventually it becomes ingrained in your memory like it's just something you naturally recall so 
I think that's a tough one because, or at least from, ironically, my limited memory, (laughs) because the way that language is stored in the brain is very unique. We have specific parts for it. So, you know, we have Wernicke's area, we have Broca's area, all that fun stuff. So, I I guess <clears throat> this, like, procedural or motor, while, like, as a, again, as psychological words, this is not necessarily the same meaning. But for me, I wouldn't think of those as being reading. But I'm remembering now that another thing Hank said is that implicit memories are high initial effort, but then it doesn't take a lot of effort to recall them yeah. from then on. Yeah, exactly. And so, again, it is stored in specific areas of our brain, whereas uh, explicit memory is stored all over. Uh, implicit memory is stored specifically in the basal ganglia and the cerebellum, which are two big, uh, two big motor powerhouses, right? Like this is where a lot of our motor control comes from. Uh, so for instance, the cerebra, the cerebrellus, <laughs> the cerebellum is part of the brainstem. And so of course, like, I mean, that makes sense the brainstem is considered to be the first part of our brain that was evolved and is therefore the more like quote unquote primal part of the brain. What does that mean? And so like, it's the part of our brain that controls all of our like survival functions. Oh, okay. Like like breathing. (laughs) Okay. Fair enough. (laughs) Right. And so it would make sense that we want our motor control to be stored in the part of our brain that is like at our, at our root at our root core of who who we are as animals you know like we need to be able to remember how to walk how to breathe how to see how to move our hands right yeah so it would make sense that motor control is stored in or sorry our motor memory is stored into the cerebellum um similarly the basal ganglia is close to the brain stem so you know pretty close to the part of our brain that's quite primal um it's in the basal ganglia that we see habit formation. So if you have any bad habits, you can blame the basal ganglia. Because this is also the part of our brain that controls for reward. A lot of our... if You always hear like, oh, like, I have a sugar addiction because of all the dopamine it gives me, right? Well, look, guess what? All that dopamine, it's going through the basal ganglia. They really didn't have to call it the basal ganglion. <laughs> what do you mean? Now I keep thinking about pizza. Maybe that's my reward for... This is your habit formation. <laughs> for finishing this episode is I should get a margarita pizza. Yeah, you should. And then you will forever associate finishing a podcast with getting a pizza. And you'll want to keep doing the good behavior. These very basic functions are stored in a deep part of the brain. That tracks. That makes sense to me. Yeah. Basic functions, basic part of the brains, yes. So then you might be wondering, like, if this is memory, what is remembering? Hmm. Well, remembering is when you recall information that you've previously learned and stored. Again, not super glamorous, not very sexy, but it is what it is. So the best way to remember, also in psychology, it we typically call this process retrieving, so... I just that's weird to me. 
It makes like, me feel like I have a golden retriever in my exactly, head. Exactly. Exactly. I was literally about to say that. <laughs> like, we already have a word for like remembering is a great word. It has the memory part in the word. Retrieving makes me sound like I'm a dog. <laughs> I feel like the psychologist had to put a little like cold clinical distance because remembering is such a like culturally weighted word. Mm. Like it's got a lot of baggage. That's true. That's true. Retrieving is very neutral. Except for my connection to dog breeds. That's yeah. Ex- yeah that's exactly. what's retrieved in my mind when I hear the word retrieve. <laughs> um, but yeah, so retrieving um, and then interacting with our memories is really the best way to actually remember them. Uh, because this is how they get stored into long-term memory. Um, and so this process of retrieving and then interacting with our memories is called elaborative rehearsal. And it's interesting because the reason why this works so well is we are attaching new memories to old memories. So, like, I guess it would be kind of an interesting uh, problem if you're attaching these new memories to, like, really fallible old memories, right? Like, it, I just feel like it would get really complicated. But What do you mean? Well, because things in, that's... Things that are stored into our long-term memory, some of it might be really accurate, but some of it might be really not accurate. <laughs> okay, give me and an so example, you, because I went in a, I think my brain's going in a different direction. I just, I think it'd be funny if you are attaching this, like, new memory to a really inaccurate old memory, so then this inaccurate old memory is just, <laughs> this, this, the plot line is just getting worse and worse. <laughs> Like, for instance, for instance, if I were to just tell you a fact that was just completely false, but then I'm attaching a new memory to this fact, then this, then this fact that is already false, like. (laughs) Isn't what you're describing when people romanticize things, like. Um, yeah, kind of. A little bit. People being like, oh, when I was a kid, everything was so... Like, the classic... Back in my day, everything was better, right? Like... Yeah. yeah. You're building and your then present it's... worldview on something... Yeah, exactly. Which I yeah. think... Yeah, that's kind of... It's kind of weird. Kind of complicated. But... See, when you described retrieval, my thought was, I'm like, that's why I don't remember any chemistry. Because I did it, and then I never thought about it again. <laughs> that Well, that is also a, a, what retrieval is. Like, it... Because remember oh this is what i mean it's gonna get annoying guys (laughs) remember we have multiple types of memory so you you are thinking along the terms of semantic memory whereas i'm thinking along the terms of episodic memory Hmm. but anyways all of this uh all this to say the best way of storing things into the long-term memory is through elaborative rehearsal attaching your new memories to Things that are already in your long-term memory. This is this how is you my... ruin songs you like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Never um, um, tell your partner that this is your song because you're done for. <laughs> yeah, they will find a way to ruin it. Or it's just now that that song is that thing, right? Yeah. Um, but this is often why professors or teachers they will tell you that the best way to memorize something for a class is to pretend you're teaching the material because you're being forced to connect 
the things that you are currently learning to the things you've learned in the past. And if you truly know the material, you'll be able to make those connections, right? Yeah. And you are uh, participating with, you are not participating, you're um, interacting with the material, you know, you are, yeah, that's all I had to say about that. It's <laughs> true. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, recalling things over, in order to also best put things into your long-term memory, you should do, you should try and recall things often and over a period of time. So often, you know, you you will often hear, like, use it or lose it when it comes to memorization. Yeah. Um, and the reason, and this is kind of the reason why. So, so in our brains, we have brain cells. Wow. <laughs> These brain cells are called neurons. And neurons communicate with each other through their synapses. Through and you know, our these chemical messengers get pushed along through electricity. So wow, Wait, synapses um, are the messengers or the connection. Synapses are the connections between two neurons. Okay, so right? what are these chemical messengers? <laughs> well, that we don't need to get into. Those are like neurotransmitters, hormones, etc. Okay, so we have already done them a little bit. Yeah, exactly. But like our chemical messengers get passed along the synapse through electricity. Okay. Okay, great. I'm grossed out oh. by that, but go on. <laughs> Why, you don't want to think about your brain being electrical? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think, like, every few weeks, Paige gets reintroduced to this idea that our brain is filled with electricity, and every time she's just, like, equally as horrified. I don't have to like it. I, um... <laughs> That's true, you don't have to. I do not. <laughs> <laughs> so, when, so, when we are constantly recalling... And over a period of time through, you know, if we're bringing it up over and over again, we are strengthening the synapse, right? We're strengthening those connections between our neurons. Mm -hmm. And so, and so we also come to, uh, we also get introduced to this concept of long-term potentiation, right? Long-term potentiation is when the synapses that we have used over and over again, they stay, but the ones that we don't use a whole lot, they get removed. And so when you hear of people experiencing a certain type of disability, or if someone, for instance, like loses a limb, or if someone's brain gets split in half, um, we are able to re-strengthen the connections that have been lost through synaptic plasticity. And this goes for memories as well. So if we have um, lost a memory, but we brought it back and we attempt to re-strengthen the synaptic or the synapses that are used for that memory, we can do that because of synaptic synaptic plasticity. Okay, what's the connection? Like can you give me an example between the examples you gave in the beginning? Like having your brain brain split or experiencing like a trauma, becoming disabled. Sure. Yeah. So when, for instance, if for someone who is, for someone who is born with vision, but then may eventually lose their vision, they are able to, um, for instance, strengthen their sense of smell through synaptic plasticity because their sense of smell is what gets used the most often or 
a really good example for memory is like you were saying you took a class on um on knitting right or let's say you took you took a high school psychology class you may have found (laughs) yeah you may have found that throughout college because you didn't use the information you used in your high school psychology class a whole a whole lot um you may have found that you've forgotten some of the information but in your research of for this podcast you may have found a lot of that information came back right and and the reason for that is because it gets stored in the long term and we have synaptic plasticity so while those synapses weren't getting used throughout these throughout your last four years of college they're getting used now and so they can re-strengthen themselves and if you were to continue down this road and uh, keep rehearsing, keep recalling the information you learned today, you could uh, re-strengthen those synap- synapses completely and they would be restored essentially in your memory. So synaptic plasticity is the ability to both lose and strengthen connections in yes. order to remember or forget things. So yes. it's just the, the concept of changing, basically. Yeah. Um, but it, it's just really cool because this is why we see that a lot of people, when they say they lose uh, a sense or they um, lose a limb or something, they are able to still, you know, it, it, it's a miracle that we are still able to function in this world even after losing part a large part of our functioning, you know, and the reason why we are able to do that is through synaptic plasticity. Because the connections that were there, for example, if you lose your sight, shift mm-hmm. to another sense. Yeah, exactly. And it, it okay. compensates for what we have lost. Gotcha. Alrighty. So I speaking of my high school psychology class, <laughs> my psychology teacher told us this metaphor, which I'm pretty sure she didn't think of, but if you recall an episodic memory, so like for example, the first day we met Hannah. Oh, uh speaking of Hank Green (laughs) oh my gosh yeah he's the connector of all things really but my psychology teacher said every time you pull up a memory like that like this specific moment Hannah and I met every time I pull it up like the big details maybe are there like Hannah was there and it was the first time we met (laughs) I would hope I was there for our first time of meeting yeah (laughs) (laughs) but it's like a puzzle where the second we left that moment, it was all missing some pieces. But every time I remember it, the pieces that are missing change. Like, maybe I remember something else, but I lose something. Mm-hmm. So it's never a complete picture, and it's not the same picture every time you remember it. Yes, because our memories are just naturally very bad. But the- Especially for episodic memories, specifically. But not not to, to quote a songy, but I'm going to quote a songy. <laughs> Okay. Um, Sleeping at Last is a song, which I'll yeah. link in the description. I love Sleeping at Last. Yes, beautiful. And I don't remember which song it is off the top of my head, but I'm paraphrasing. But the idea was every time you remember something, you change it. So if you truly want to remember something, you have to leave it untouched. Oh. Which I know is not strictly true, but I think it's getting at a good point, which is that you think every time you remember something, like every time I think about the day when we met, I'm remembering it better, but I'm changing the memory by bringing it into this new context, imbuing mm. it with this moment in ways that I couldn't possibly have known at the time. That's true. But if you just stop trying to actively recall that memory, uh, 
you I mean there is a chance that you could forget it I could never forget it okay <laughs> fair enough it was a beautiful it was a beautiful day or was it is that hindsight I don't know <laughs> no it was are you saying that us meeting was bad I'm saying we couldn't possibly know like because we know it the worked way- out Definitely the way we feel about our memories change each time because, like you said, we recontextualize them. But there are, like, certain things that, yes, like, they always stay the same. And us meeting will always stay the same. And it was a great time! (laughs) I mean, this is true. But I thought this puzzle analogy was really interesting. And that's the reason I remember it all these years later. Mm -hmm. And I also don't know... Like I think your I think your psych teacher did a really good job of summarizing the concept, but I also don't necessarily think that it's like every single time you recall a memory, it a piece gets changed. Mm-hmm. But like over a long period of time, as you recall a story, it will it will change over that period of time. That's true. I mean, this is like the 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 classic fish fish story. <laughs> fish you know heard this it's like um when you first catch the fish it's like i don't know it's a five inch a pound i don't know how big fish are but it's small (laughs) okay uh but then like you tell it and you're like oh it was like this big and it weighed like three pounds and then the next time you tell it it was a foot and it weighed 10 pounds you know on and on and on yeah by the end of it you're like yeah when i caught that fish it was huge and you really think it was but yeah, exactly. Yeah. It it is a gradual thing. It's not just like every single time something new happens. Alrighty. So as I promised you, we don't have to exclusively rely on Bella, who is like a, a little baby vampire. We can I have some evidence for you from other vampires. Okay. So Bella is like already losing her human memories, even the ones that she really likes, like her honeymoon. <laughs> Yeah, she really enjoyed it. <laughs> she would have enjoyed it more if Edward wasn't annoying. But <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> she still remembers it by and large fondly. Maybe because yeah. she's recontextualizing, she knows she didn't fucking die. But <laughs> that's true. She well, if I... she died. She wouldn't remember anything. <laughs> I bet in those two months, Edward was big recontextualizing. Their oh money. yeah. <laughs> oh for sure. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Okay, so, again, we, everything is from Bella's perspective, but we can, taking that grain of salt, we can recount what other vampires have told her. So when she is first turned, she makes, like, a conscious effort to remember those first days with Edward. Uh-huh. <laughs> she says, the true beginning of my life, which I don't love, but... Don't know how I feel about that. Um <laughs> Again, go off, I guess. Con- context is everything, I guess. It worked out for them, but I don't love this generally. Anyway. Um, and she says, I did not expect that it would be so uncomfortable to remember, like trying to squint through muddy water. Which we're going to talk about this, but vision is like a huge part of the reason Bella thinks it's difficult to remember human memories. But anyway. I knew from Rosalie's experience that if I thought of my human memories enough, I would not lose them over time. I did not want to forget one minute I'd spent with Edward, even now when eternity stretched in front of us. I would have to make sure those human memories were cemented into my infallible vampire mind. 
Yeah, those are some pretty strong words. <laughs> Big claims from a Mrs. Bell Swan. Yeah. Um, which I also love this. Bella's like, I am already struggling to remember like the beginning of my relationship with Edward. I have to have it forever in my eternal mind. <laughs> Rosalie's like, I remember every single second of my human life and it's entirely out of spite. <laughs> yeah. I love but that. But like but like that's good for Rosalie, you know? It's she, very she Rosalie. Just, yeah, like, and she deserves to, ha- re- like, keep those memories and do what she wants with them, you know? Yeah. I feel like so much of her life was taken from her. This is, like, in some weird way, like, a, a regaining agency. I don't Let's know. Let's not girl boss her too hard. She did do a literal murder spree. <laughs> okay, was it not somewhat deserved? Hannah! <laughs> uh, <laughs> All right, all right, all right. Uh, I don't have to like or support the men who did horrible things to Rosalie, but I don't know that we gotta be like, Rosalie, you should be a vigilante. Okay, Rosalie is the next Batman. She is vengeance. Showing up at that guy's house in her bridal gown. I am vengeance. (laughs) Can that be the promo for this episode? Yeah. Instead of Robert Pattinson. Being ba- being Batman, just the we gotta that's still we gotta rethink. Yeah, exactly. We gotta rethink all of Batman. So anyway. that's all I had to say about that. <laughs> Rosalie remembers every moment of her human life pretty much out of spite. Mm-hmm. Relatable. On the other hand, is it relatable? No, it's not. To be okay, honest, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. I really consciously try not to remember things that make me angry. Oh, we we love avoidance. Um, Rosalie went the other direction, and you know what? There's pros. She and embraced cons. it. Yeah. On the other hand, Edward doesn't remember his parents really. So it's not just that like you're gonna forget details, like oh, like what was my address? What was my phone number? He doesn't remember his mom. Yeah, like, that is kind of sad. That's crazy. And I know that happens sometimes when, like, relatives die. Like, in, in regular people, too, it becomes difficult to remember what they looked like. But it's crazy to me that he could forget so much about his parents. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, this it takes a lot of really conscious effort to remember human memories as a vampire, it seems. But then she says, Carlisle's memory of Edward's parents quote, despite the brevity of their contact would be perfectly clear. This is a new moon. Hmm. Which we're talking, like, almost a century at this point. So, like, Carlisle probably remembers, like, every patient he's ever treated. Probably, yeah. It's kind of a bummer. I mean, I also just think that, like, that seems impossible to me. How would you not... How could you do that? You know how, like, um... When a doctor is first a doctor, they are often, like, just emotionally burdened by their job, right? Because they haven't learned how to compartmentalize all the things that they see in a day, right? Is Carlo, like, is he okay? (laughs) He has to remember all this stuff. Is he alright? He's so tender. I mean, he's still, like, the, the reason he turned Esme is because... He was so sad for her. Yeah. 
and he remembered her from like in it was like a decade later so for him that's not that long but so i mean i guess what this brings up for me is why we forget things like what is the the function of for of forgetting things oh, acting. and one of the things i see or saw is forgetting lets us understand time the passage of time mm-hmm. like something feels long like a long time ago because the memories of it are fuzzy like mm-hmm. i remember very clearly what i ate for breakfast this morning but i i don't if you asked me two mondays ago what i had for breakfast i couldn't tell you that tells me that this morning was closer than two weeks ago so it's actually important <laughs> that our memories fade because if we remembered everything, we wouldn't, like, it would be very confusing. We wouldn't have any sense of the passage of time. Yeah. Which raises some questions. <laughs> Again, that just sounds miserable. Yeah, I mean, I know I joked that I was like, there are any vampires around? I want to be 22 forever, but I actually don't know that I want to never forget anything ever. And also, I guess I have to only eat blood, but... Yeah, but mainly but like, I don't want to remember everything that ever happens to me. Yeah, also because they don't they don't sleep, so it's not like that is marking what like what counts as a day, you know. Yeah. Like if they were to live, for instance, in like a really in a country in like the northern 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 hemisphere, where in the summer it's just bright all the time, how disorienting. Literally, you would just all run into one. Like, it would just all seem like one really long day. Yeah, that's really weird to think about. That sucks! <laughs> uh, I can't- that's gonna freak me out. Anyway! <laughs> hey, Bella chose that for herself, too, which is kind of wild. I suppose so. I mean... I can see this not being something that really sinks in until it- because I genuinely cannot imagine what it would yeah. be like for yeah. two weeks ago to be just as clear as today. But I can also yeah. see how that would become extraordinarily confusing. Mm-hmm. Someone's like, oh my god, are you good? I haven't heard from you. And be like, we just talked like not that long ago. And they're like, that was three months ago. Yeah. That seems bad. <laughs> yeah, that does not, does not seem good. <laughs> well... Hmm. You want to tell us more about forgetting? I would like to forget. <laughs> um, it's a good yeah, thing I, I made notes. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you more about forgetting, in fact. So why do we forget? Well, there are multiple ways in which we forget. There's a biological cause for forgetting, where we just naturally lose uh, our synaptic connections. This is considered decay. Um, And, you know, it just happens. But then there's also interference, which is kind of interesting. So there are two types of interference. There's retroactive and proactive interference. This is essentially when memories get in the way of each other. That's what I was thinking about for Carlisle with the patients. Yeah. So tell us more. Um, Sorry, I interrupted you. So retroactive interference is when when new things we learn interfere with our old memories. 
by either degrading or competing with the synaptic connections of those old memories. So you have, you learned uh, a fact a long time ago. And then in a recent class that you take, that you've taken, you learn a new fact. Well, you might completely forget that old fact in favor of this new fact. Then there's proactive interference where old memories compete for space um, against the, the, or sorry, let me, let me back up, let me back up. Then there's proactive interference where our old memories are the first memories we think of when trying to retrieve. So if something is so well ingrained into our brain and we learn a new fact, we might just default to the thing that's already really well ingrained in our brain. So if you looked me in the eye and told me that Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1493, I'll never Mm -hmm. fucking remember that. (laughs) Yeah, because it's just so well ingrained that it was 1492. But, um... But I'll never think about Columbus and not remember that he was a a terrible human being because I've learned <laughs> new facts since I learned about the sailing the ocean blue. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, and so uh, there are other types of interference that are not uh, as widely discussed. So there's what's called cue overload, where essentially our long-term memories are oftentimes cue dependent. And so if we have too many memories attached to a single queue, will those connections between the queue and the memory um, start to just get too, it gets too dispersed. So they, they are overall weaker, if that makes mm, sense. Okay. So yeah. if we have, for instance, too many, too many memories that we attach to a song, then each of the memories attached to that song will be weaker than if it was just one memory attached to the song. Or like I was trying to remember when I bought some celery, but I went to the grocery store. I go to the grocery store all the time, mm-hmm. so I can't remember which trip it was. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Then there's also um, something called a consolidation failure. So I mentioned before that in the attempt of storing things in our long-term memory, we use our hippocampus. And so, uh, so um, let's bring that back. When forming new long-term memories, uh, the synapses that are activated in connection to those memories are matched to the hippocampus. But over time, we we consolidate those synapses to the parts of our brain that are like more durable, I guess is a good way to say it. So if that process of consolidation gets interrupted, then those memories will probably be pretty weak. Hmm. Is it possible to give an example of that, or? Um. Yeah, I don't know how. I I will send you an image that we can link to um in our podcast description. Okay. Really that will sh- that will show kind of what I mean by consolidation. Because okay. essentially, you will see a map of all of the connections between our synapses and the hippocampus, and they're going back and forth. And just over time, it goes back and forth less and less. And so then all of the connections just get stored in a section that is not our hippocampus. So like with language, language is stored in a really particular part, right? Yes. Which which part is that? It's stored in parts of our temporal lobe. Okay. So like when I'm learning new Spanish words, when I first hear a word, it goes to my hippocampus. If I don't 
So, uh, no. no. <laughs> it is not going to just your hippocampus. It is the synaptic connections will be between your temporal lobe and your hippocampus. Or let's let's make it even more specific because those are large parts of the brain. Um, let's say Broca's area and the hippocampus. They will continue to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Over time, it'll be um, it'll be sectioned off to just Broca's area. Okay. And All we don't right. really need to get into what Broca's area is. Just know it's for language learning and, and comprehension and stuff. If anyone is still curious, there will be an image in the description. Yes. Right. But our, our other impetus for this is a Miss Alice who remembers absolutely nothing of her human life. But more importantly, she woke up remembering nothing. Mm-hmm. So big theory here is she probably is experiencing amnesia which is forgetting but really extreme like in soap um, operas yeah um or like if anyone has seen um that Christopher Nolan movie Batman Batman <laughs> the Dark Knight Rises <laughs> yes if anyone's seen Batman <laughs> Overnight, this became a Batman podcast. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's this ba- uh, there's this Batman movie. No, there's this Christopher Nolan movie called Memento, where the main character cannot form new memories. Um, so he has to write out notes for himself everywhere, and like, uh, he's trying to solve a mystery too, which is a problem. <laughs> oh no, King. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's really going through it. Um, and so, like, he has, like, tattoos everywhere and, like, he's written on himself everywhere um, in order to make sure. Oh, it's so good. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, you should definitely before, watch it. But I don't think I knew the premise. Yeah, it's it's really good. So, yeah, it's this man. He's trying to solve a murder. But he has, he, he can't, rem- he can't form new memories at all. Um, okay. Yeah, you should look into it. I will. But he, what he's experiencing is a type of amnesia and it sounds like what alice's experience is a type of amnesia so let's get into the multiple types there are um so there's one type of amnesia called interrograde amnesia uh which is which is when you cannot form new memories so everything up until a traumatic point you will remember everything past that traumatic point you will forget oh that's what dory has yeah yeah (laughs) But it it's interesting. You will you will see that not all of your memory is affected. So like, or not. Well, we'll we'll get into that later. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there's retrograde amnesia, where everything up until a traumatic point is forgotten. And so you can form new memories, but everything prior to that point of injury um brain injury uh, gets forgotten what's usually what's interesting about alice is she has literally forgotten everything everything typically people with retrograde amnesia will will forget um will forget only an aspect of their memory so like they might just forget their episodic memory or they might um like all or episodic memories? Yeah, like, yeah, like they will not be able to tell you what happened on their 10th birthday. 
right? Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is like, for instance, there's this case where this man forgot everything up until this point of brain injury, but he still remembers the feelings he has for his wife. So oh, even though he has forgotten. Oh, shout out, Tank. So even though he's forgotten his wife's face and the actual things he's experienced with his wife, he still remembers he that he loves her, which is, and it's, it's kind of beautiful. I also it's read sad, about a woman, like a psychologist would prick her, her hand every time he shook her hand, but she couldn't form new memories. So she doesn't remember why, but she doesn't want to shake his hand. Yes. So, so like, yeah. So people that experience retrograde amnesia, can typically still remember some things uh, from their past, but it's not everything. But Alice can't remember, like, anything, which is, that's severe. Yes, well, the circumstances were less than ideal. (laughs) Yeah, so you want to tell us about what she went through? (laughs) Yes, so basically, uh, Alice was, like... (laughs) She wouldn't have premonitions, but she got uncanny senses of something was going to happen. And she basically figured out, spoilers, <laughs> that her dad was conspiring to have her mom killed. <laughs> and so he sent Alice off to an as- insane asylum where she experienced electric th- shock therapy. I think we talked about this in our hair episode because that's yeah. why her hair is short. <laughs> that's why her hair is short. And also, we discussed it a little in, in terms of, like, why her power, now that she's a vampire, is being able to see into the future. Yeah, but I think that was still in the hair episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so I was like, well, why were we talking about that in the hair episode? Yeah. Go listen to our hair episode. <laughs> yes. Um, tangentially related. But yes, that's why her hair is so short. Because they cut it when she got to the asylum. Um because she was experiencing electric shock therapy and she spent a lot of the end of her human life literally in darkness is the the explanation that she gives us um when she or let me back up slightly turns out there's a vampire at this asylum (laughs) (laughs) and also james thinks she smells really good um (laughs) You haven't read any of the books. This is going to seem so random to you, but it was in Twilight, like the first book, that James like literally looks Belle in the eye and is like, "You smell pretty good, but not as good as your friend there." It's a shame that that asylum vampire bit her before I could get to her. (laughs) (laughs) So when she wakes up, James, this vampire is off trying to to head James off. So no one's there to tell her what the fuck happened, and she doesn't remember a thing. Mm Hmm. So not only does she not know that she's just been turned into a vampire, she also has no memory of her human life, which is why she doesn't recognize James in the meadow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so I think the implication here is that she went through a very traumatic event, but then also she was going, she was being electrocuted, right? Yeah, there's there's more so, than one factor at play here. Yeah, exactly. Finding out that so, your dad murdered your mom and then sent you to an asylum is pretty traumatic. <laughs> Yeah, um, but then the the electric the electric electric therapy itself, um, it was could potentially be enough to cause a severe brain injury. Well, um, I'm sure, the twenties. Yeah, um, but then also, 
you know, since we already know that when vampires get turned, they lose their human memories. Like it's, it would not surprise me if that combined with the brain injury that she sustained from the electric therapy and then all of that trauma. Yeah. It would not surprise me that she would have an extremely severe form of retrograde amnesia. So you have folks, she can make new memories clearly, but yeah, I can say this about amnesia. Essentially what is happening is just large portions of the brain are being damaged. Right. Okay. If you are electrocuting your brain <laughs> way past beyond the safe point of human and electric, like human electric <laughs> interaction. Because it's already a little electric, which I hate. <laughs> yes. But like, it's only a little electric, okay? If we were to constantly be electrocuted all the time with high voltage electricity, then yeah, parts of your brain are going to die. <laughs> You're you're essentially like frying it. So any connections that were, like, any synapses that were tied to the neurons in that part of the brain, are just severed. They are, they're they're dead. They are dead. Obviously, when Alice wakes up, she still knows how to walk and breathe and speak English. So it sounds like what she lost was her episodic memory. Yes, but here's the thing. Like like we said, for someone experiencing retrograde amnesia, they can create new memories, right? So because of oh, synaptic plasticity, it could just be that tiny chunks of the parts of her brain that are creating her episodic memories are taken out. But then that means that the rest of the brain is compensating for what she has lost. Okay, so Which is they're good. making new connections in non-damaged places. Or, I mean, I guess mm-hmm. it's feasible that, like, in the transformation process, the brain, like, healed, but... Heals, yeah. Like, the ability to make new memories in those places, but, like, the, the existing connections were gone. Is that anything? Yeah. Yeah. But I, I also think it could be that she, her brain could potentially just have healed herself when healed itself when um she got turned into a vampire but what i'm saying is that like yes now like i don't know where episodic memory store but that part of the brain is fully functioning now because of the vampiric transformation but the reason that the memories aren't there anymore is because the the synapses to those memories to those memories they are dead yeah okay mm-hmm. i mean i guess what we could do is we could we're already at an hour and a half and we basically just laid out how memory works. We could stop it here, do some research about photographic a part memory. Two? Yeah. What do you think? Yeah, that sounds like a good plan. Because I feel weird leaving it here because I'm like, I feel like we just laid out the foundation but I haven't answered the questions that this was all background for. I mean uh, this literally is what happened in our first episode. Remember we were like we made a huge revel. We made a huge revelation, like at the end of our recording. Yes, I mean that's fair. I'm not. I'm not too pressed about it. Um, if our German audience is held on after our first couple episodes, which were markedly worse than this one, they can wait two weeks for the the finale. Okay, so totally planned and very on purpose. We're going to leave you here. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 no. 
Let's back up. Let's back up. Let's I was back gonna up. do a little wrap up. I wasn't gonna be like, okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> so listen, memory's a big topic. Where we're at, how memories get stored, and the different kinds of memories, and why forgetting is important for human people. But we know vampires don't really forget. What we are not clear on yet. Stay tuned next week. Cliffhanger why vampires would forget their human memory so swiftly without like pretty diligent effort does vision and like senses because vampire senses are way more heightened as didn't we have a vision episode did we now i'm having interference yeah listen it's been it's been a surprisingly long time since we've started yeah it's march it's been six months yeah did we have a vision episode? I feel like we did something about vampire. No, we did smell. We did do smell. Okay, so we but... do have we have laid the precedent for vampires having heightened senses. In addition to heightened senses of smell, they also have heightened vision. Vision. So, well, is that why? That's like what Bella thinks, but find out what the science has to say about it when we return in two weeks. Is there anything you want to add? Mm, go watch Batman. Go watch all but, of all of them. <laughs> go watch Batman, but then go watch the Batman. But then anytime Robert Pattinson is on screen, imagine Nikki Hale instead. We talked about Batman so much. We also talked about Christopher Nolan. <laughs> oh, that's true. But that was a good movie recommendation. Everyone go, you know what? Yeah, let's leave it on this note. Go watch Memento. Very good movie. <laughs> This has been Fang Theory. (laughs) (laughs) A podcast that brings you non-Twilight-based recommendations constantly. I'm Paige. I'm Hannah. We'll be back in two weeks. Adios. Listen, listen, maybe this is a hot take, maybe it's not, but Robert Pattinson and Zoe Kravitz, I think, I think people just assume chemistry because they're both really hot. You don't find that spooky? It's way out of her stomach and you're like, but it was really scary in the ballet studio. The ballet studio was so spooky-ooky. How many times in one episode can we bring up vampire sex in an episode that has no clear connection to vampire sex?